This is a lesson for the rest of us. Growing up as a boy, my first crises of faith was about prayer. And most of my crises of faith through my life have been centered around prayer. You might have thought they'd be centered around science, because science guy here, but no. No, science shows us that there are other ways to tell stories, and there are other ways to get where we need to be. And so that wasn't near the struggle of the unanswered prayer. I had teachers that would make prayer seem like it was a magic thing. It was like when you wish upon a star. Or you could just, you know, rub a globe or something. There, there's something's going to happen. But you had to say the right words in the right way. And people are still pushing that. You see more books about that in Christian bookstores. Well, they, they still exist. There are a few. You, you will go and you'll, you'll find those books there. Or you'll find, um, you'll find books that will say, oh, we found the magic prayer in Scripture. And if you pray this particular prayer, it's almost like God has to do what you want him to do. What an odd thing to think. There are uh, about four years ago now, one of our brothers in Christ is a uh, is just all about prayer. And I'm not talking about Albert here, but he's he's right there with him. And Albert knows this gentleman, and I didn't ask permission, so I'm not going to say his name. He's a wonderful man, by the way. And he has preached for this little tiny church in Calhoun, Louisiana, forever. And he holds a prayer seminar every year. He writes books on prayer, and he's all about prayer. And he got in touch with me, and he said, would you come and speak at our prayer conference? And I said, brother, you know me. You don't want me at a prayer conference unless you want a rebuttal time to some of the things. And he, and, and he said, no, we want you. And I came, and I spoke, and he's not invited me back, but we're still friends. <laughs> the problem of pain and suffering doesn't really get me on the wrestling mat with God. Usually, you know, I'll have my moments, but that's not usually it. It's just a problem of unanswered prayer. And let's do away with that silly response where people will say, oh, he did answer it. He just said, no, let's crack open our Bibles and see where he told us that was one of the options. You're not going to. It looks in, the, in Scripture sometimes as if it is magical. You come and you ask and you will get. That's not always the way it works. Sometimes, and you, if we're honest, we have had prayers that seem to have bounced off the ceiling. And we wonder why. And we, we think, well, this would have been a small thing for God. Why, why wasn't this one answered? Maybe that's why the book of Habakkuk has always had a special place in my heart. It, it, uh, it looks like Habakkuk, but it's really Habakkuk. And it's, it's a tiny book. It's an obscure book. But it has absolutely captured me from the time that I was just entering double digits around 8 or 9 or 10. I found that book as we were reading through the Bible as a congregation. I was so excited when I hit the short books. You know, those were my books. I liked the short books. You know, you hit Psalms. You're going, no, I'll, you know, I'll never be seen again. But then you'd hit Habakkuk. And okay. But Habakkuk kind of rattled my cage back then, and it still does, but in a good way. Look at, the, look at the first part here. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not answer? All right, we're going to stop right here. And by the way, uh, clicker verse people, we're going to stop a lot. Just 
get used to it. Um, the, when was the last time you heard a prayer in church start that way? Hello, God, we've been asking. Isn't it interesting that in the Old Testament, they talked to God like he was a father, not in a formal, like he's the king and wants to cut our heads off. They talked to him. I have grandsons that talk to me like a grandfather and a buddy, and they're quick to reprove me. Yesterday, we went to watch them play basketball games. Well, the three-year-old doesn't play the basketball games. He immediately saw me, popped out of his chair, ran over and signaled me to come over and play with him to the side. And so I, I go. And he, he turns, he does this, and he looks at me and he goes, do you have a football? I, I went, no. And he just, and he looked at me and he says, some people bring footballs to basketball games. I'm glad to know that passive aggressive behavior is running through our family still and <laughs> has a future there. There are times that they, and, and it, it, it's not like, oh, you can't talk to me that way. No, they can. He starts off by going, this isn't the first time I've been here, God. How long? Or cry out to you, violence. There's, there's physical danger here, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? We could stop right there. And if I asked, has anybody here ever wondered this about God? And if you don't raise your hand, I would question your honesty. We've struggled with this. Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife, conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in. The righteousness so that justice is perverted have you ever said anything like that to God before now here's where I think not all that many hands would go up because we have been trained to be very careful about the way we walk into the courts of God and how we phrase things to him so that we do not incur his wrath upon us and once again we've lost that father-child relationship somehow in there well here's God's response Look at the nations and watch. Be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians. Full stop right here. Hang on. The Babylonians were not nice people. Extremely not nice people. They had the habit of once they took a nation, destroying its holy places, destroying its royal bloodline, and then the one, the, those in the royal line that they wanted to keep and the other useful, they would take and mutilate them, uh, sometimes castration. But they also liked to put hooks in the nose or hooks in the cheek and string them one to another and march them to Babylon. And God's saying, I'm raising them up. That ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. 
They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities by building earthen ramps that capture them. And then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. If that was the response you got to your prayer, what would be your next move? I think many of us are actually shocked at this. Whenever we hear God saying, you know that problem? You know the enemy? You know the one that's sweeping up against you and going to wipe you out? I'm behind that. Huh. That might be something to keep in mind. We'll talk more about this. Don't worry, we're not moving on. We just kind of get, got to get this in our head. It's in the Bible. Every so often I'll find a, a book that'll say something like all of God's promises or the comforting passages in scripture. And I'm always thinking, well, you're leaving out a lot of the story. Now, I'm not complaining about the God we've got. Don't get me wrong. What I'm saying is we, we, we're not really sure what God we've got sometimes. And sometimes we want a different God than the one who's there. And the one who's there is not to be shoved about. This is not something such as, oh, it's got to be 20 years ago now. Uh, Disney World in Orlando, Florida, had uh, just instituted a, uh, a, a, a gay pride week or day. I'm not really sure what it was, but it was they were giving the park over to this for celebrations. And Christians went berserk. And one of them, on a very well-known nation, national TV show, said that God would punish Florida for this by sending hurricanes. Just going to let you process that for a little bit. Couple of issues. One, they'd had hurricanes before. It's Florida. It sticks out there like hit me if you dare, and and it does. The second is, why would you punish Florida when it's Disney you want? That seems to be a really bad approach. I don't think God wanted to punish anybody. I don't think that's what hurricanes do. But there are times in scripture that God says he maneuvers the weather or a nation to bring calamity on the people that are supposed to be his children. We got to get our heads around this. So Habakkuk counters, you're allowed to, you're allowed to counter God with another prayer that shows his confusion. Take a look at verses 12 through chapter 2, 1. Lord, are, are you not from everlasting my God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, in other words, I'm still clinging to you here, have ordained them to punish your eyes. This is actually a little response here. You can't do this long, God. You can't let this keep going. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? I've, I've asked that question. I imagine many of you have. Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You know, it's, that's, a, that's an excellent question. You have made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. He just means they're just scattered about. There's no organization. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. Remember that? He catches them in his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. So he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net. In other words, the Babylonians are never going to worship you for raising them up. 
they're never going to praise you for allowing you to punish us. They're going to bow to their gods. They're going to bow to their power. They're going to say it was our, in modern parlance, our tanks, our drones, our bombs that did it. For by his net he lives, or and burns incense to his dragnet. It's supposed to be an absurdity. For by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? Watch what he does here. I'll stand at my watch. I'll station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I'm to give to this complaint. He's saying, all right, God, I'm going to stand right here. You, you answer me. You answer me. Some people bring footballs to a basketball game. Why did you not explain to me your deficit, your deficiency in the God answering prayer thing? Did you know that prophets talk to God like this? Very often we don't because to, if we're being honest with ourselves, most of us are really not that knowledgeable about the Old Testament. And a lot of preachers sometimes will even give you an excuse. They'll say, well, we're under the New Testament. Now, we don't need to have much to do with it. You don't understand the context of the New Testament unless you know the Old Testament. You don't get the promises of the New Testament unless you understand the context that those promises were launched in the Old Testament. And the law of morality that God launched in the Old Testament and the way God deals with evil, righteousness, up and down sunshine and rain is foundational in the Old Testament and then demonstrated in the New. You've got to know your Old Testament. And so what does Habakkuk do? He says, I want to stand here until I figure out what you're up to, until you give me an answer that I can understand. I confess to you fully and without shame that there's a lot of, there are a lot of times in my life this is not uncommon, that I struggle wondering what is God up to and why isn't he up to more? Why isn't he doing more? I've seen a quotation um, attributed to um, Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King Jr., and St. Francis of Assisi that's actually a modern statement from the lips of Bob Pierce, who dedicated his life to serving the poor and caring for the poor he is the one who said, let my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. Let my heart be broken with the things that break the heart of God. Habakkuk was concerned about the things that matter to God. Now, I want you, let's, let's give Habakkuk some real credit here. He wasn't asking for a pony. He wasn't asking for health. He was asking for justice. He was asking for God's law to be over the earth. There was nothing selfish or wrong in Habakkuk's prayer. We know he was upset at the right things. We know he believed that there is a God and that that God was concerned about injustice. And he believed that God was powerful enough to do whatever God wanted to do. That's a pretty smart prophet. But that gives him a problem. couple months, maybe three months ago, I was up in Michigan speaking at Cleary University, and they'd asked me to come and speak on a series of events, and, and so I did, but I also told them, if you have any questions, just write those down, and I will do question answers as well, 
And there, there was uh, one of the, one of the um, professors there is an atheist. He might even be listening to these lessons. Uh, certainly a fine, fine young man. Uh, and whenever you're old enough to call professors young men, that tells you something. But he asked me, how could I believe in God when there is evil in the world? And I said, you know, you've actually phrased this in a pretty good, effective way. Having God does, in your life does not solve the problem of evil. It creates it. Because if there was no God, and if we really were just some random firing of gravitational explosion into being, and there was nothing about us that mattered, and we were just passing through a universe that didn't care, evil, you wouldn't need an answer to evil. You'd just expect there to be evil. But if there's a righteous God, we are appalled that evil exists. Believing in God creates the problem of evil. How do we handle this? Well, I'm not going to solve theodicy today. That's that issue of God and evil. But I can talk to you about what God says about why some prayers don't get answered the way we'd like. Jesus' brother, James, and there's some question over whether that's the James or not. I believe it was Jesus' brother gave us some reasons why some prayers seem to bounce off the ceiling and go nowhere. In verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Some don't pray in faith. It's just kind of like rubbing a, ma a rabbit's foot, which I've never understood that. It's supposed to be lucky, but obviously it was not lucky for the rabbit. And therefore, I'm not sure why we would place our faith in this, this uh, foot-based faith system. Others, um, others pray kind of like, well, I, you know, I know you probably won't, but God... Or they pray out of duty, I guess. I'm, I, and I really do get that. I do. Um, I dated a girl long ago um, who could not accept a compliment. And it was very frustrating. You know, you could say, you look pretty. And, you know, this is wrong. This is wrong. Your hair's nice. No, this is wrong. This is wrong. Whenever she would, you know, maybe do something for me or her family, I'd say, that was nice. And no, it wasn't. It, it became so frustrating, you couldn't function. And I finally said, you either think I'm an idiot or a liar, and I'm not really sure which. Uh, but that didn't really help her poor self-esteem. I wasn't very good at that stage and working. I may, uh, now I'm perfect, frankly. Uh, I, I just sail through all social situations. <sighs> anyway, I would like for those that were on the boat to be quiet. Um, <laughs> we all have stories on each other. Don't make this, don't get this started. Some of us don't pray in faith, and that offends God. I think that's, that's important, but he goes on. Chapter 4. You desire but do not have, so you kill. Ow. You covet, but you cannot get you what you want, so you quarrel and fight. By the way, the word kill there doesn't always mean to take a life. It can also mean to take a person's reputation. To pay, take a person's way of making a living, to break up their family. You kill their life. He says, you don't get what you want, so you kill. 
you do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. That would be you're asking for reasons God can't approve of. Let's, um, let's bring it into the more modern. And, and we're going to, there are so many that I'd like to do uh, of this, but we have people that were born later than others. So let's do somebody, let's say a, um, a, a Putin of Russia. And let's say, I have no idea what his plans are. Let's say that he were to decide he's going to invade another country like they did Crimea. And he's going to do this and he's going to do that. If we were to pray, oh Lord, please kill Putin, God's not going to respond to that prayer. God will not do evil because we ask him to. He will not let us use prayer for selfish motives. As the old country song that um, the, uh, Janis Joplin made popular in rock, oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? No, he won't. God has a different way of looking at things and he will not approve a prayer of yours just because you're greedy at the moment or because you want the promotion that somebody else wants as well. Do you know when this hits me most? Is when I have flown somewhere and returned and you go down to the baggage claim. After a while, the little light goes on, there's a buzz. Conveyor belt moves. Here come the bags. And I find myself all the time thinking, ah, oh, I'm wanting to get my bags first, which means somebody else has to get their bags later. It's always a test of me. How much do I love my fellow passengers? And I'm looking around and going, eh, you know, I'm not really sure how I'm up for this task. But it's, that's a tiny thing. That's a very tiny thing. But you get the point. It, we're selfish. We're, we come out of the womb selfish. And sometimes our prayers go that way. God will not do evil. And he's not interested in taking care of our, our greed. Or chapter 5. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well and the Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Do we have an 18? Oh, that, yeah, I'm sorry. It was at the end of it. I'm sorry. Um, that Elijah prayer gets me. Because he gets up there. It hasn't rained for a long time because God is punishing the people. So now it's time for the rain to come back. So Elijah believes. So he goes up and he prays. And he has a runner. <laughs> Sends the runner. Go check. Any clouds? <laughs> he keeps praying. Comes back. No, nothing. All right, keep praying. Send him. Finally, the kid comes back and he goes, um, there, there's one. That's like the size of a man's hand. And Elijah turns to him and says, run. Why? Because the rain's going to come so fast, the flood will overtake you. Run. I, I wouldn't have run. I would have told him I was. I would have run till he wasn't looking. And I would have stopped. What about you? Seriously, are you going to run? People say, why are you running? The flood's coming. And dust is coming up behind you. God wants us to be a people that are not afraid to be all in. 
put it all on the line. I can remember we had, um, we had been, just been married a bit and we were gathering our funds to go uh, back to live in Scotland and um, uh, th there was a drought in Virginia at that time. We were in Norfolk, Virginia. And it was the first time I'd actually seen cracks in ground. It was such a horrible thing. And the churches were praying. But I would often hear people that would pray for rain at a Wednesday night, let's say, uh, a Bible class. And then somebody would go, oh, we just, you know, the weather guy says no rain till Saturday. And they're all going, oh, well. And I'm going, but if you pray for rain, bring an umbrella. You're, and I know that you could look silly that way, but take the chance. And by the way, I'm beating myself up on that one too. So a quick reading of, um, of chapter 2 would tell you what upsets God enough to turn aside pleas for help. James is really good about this. Greed is right there. Piling up goods and wealth. Is it not true we run out of space for our stuff pretty easy? And so I know in Spring Hill, they're building one after another these mega storage units. There's no sin in having a storage unit. That's not the point. Don't go there. Storage units. It's right as you enter a town. It's like the gulag storage place. Why? Because we have too much stuff to keep it in the house. So we have to store it over there. We have stuff in our, in our garage or garage, if you know English, that, have, that rust goes bad. God says, sometimes I'm not going to answer those prayers. As he put it to, through one prophet, rust is a witness against you. That you haven't taken what I've given you and done with it what I wanted you to do with it. There, there are other, perhaps more obvious, like shedding blood and destroying things for our own purposes. And once again, it doesn't have to be literal blood. It can be to destroy somebody's uh, reputation, family. Using alcohol to get sex. Yeah, that's in there too. And now, not only do people do that, they post it on Instagram and Snapchat. They're proud of it. Worshipping idols. There are all kinds of idols out there. Uh, we have, um, we have people that believe from the law that I'm reading, and if I've read it wrong, I apologize. But from the law that I've read, and if I'm understanding what they say about the law, where a child that is born can be killed if it's inconvenient or unwanted. And I'm going, that's Molech. That's Molech. There's a God that is, and people are applauding that God. If we tolerate evil among, and then participate in that, that's a left and right issue, people. There, there, there's so much evil on both sides. We, we cannot tolerate that. Or here, then this is a biggie for me. Prayer is about comfort and our ease of our passage through this world. C.S. Lewis nails me on this one. Because he talks about prayer, and uh, not an exact quote, but basically most of us pray and our biggest, most pressing concern is, let me have a nice day. And oh my goodness, did he catch me right in the face with that one. I find myself doing that frequently. We, um, we need to think about what we pray about. James talks about they will be, the, the, the sick will be healed. Is that, is that a magical promise that cancer will go away? No, please remember, your story doesn't end when your body does. God has other plans for you 
that outlast your time on the planet. This will seem to be but a vapor. You have somewhere else to be. You have something else to do. And sometimes your body has been worn out to the point it needs to stop. But you don't. And you will be healed in a land where there are no tears and there is no sickness and there is no dying, there is no crying or hunger. We have an earth-based measuring tool saying God has to answer our prayer on the planet. No, he doesn't. He has a lot of time of which we are not aware. Don't pray for the impossible that we not die. Don't pray for something that goes against the will of God. Do we trust the mystery? Do we trust the mystery of God? I believe God is good. Even when I think goodness would require this and he's not doing this, I still think God is good. I just think he has information I don't have. He has a perspective that I don't have. And so I trust him. And as the scripture says, though he slay me, still will I trust him. Because something's going on that I don't see. There's a plan I don't get. It was a big thing, and I think they oversaturated the market for a while, and that saddens me because I found it fascinating. They would have people like the Jesus painter, but there were others in that ilk that while somebody was doing a presentation, they would look like just a complete abstract on big canvas. And then right near the end, they would draw one line or they'd turn it upside down, and all of a sudden, everybody saw the picture. Clear as could be. God is painting a painting and we're not seeing all of it because that's not our job. Our job is to be faithful in the few things Jesus said. So what do we do in the meantime? Oh, by the way, that word mystery, you don't want to overplay this, but that's got an old definition in Greek that means a battle plan. But a special kind of battle plan that you didn't tell the soldiers about until the day of battle so that it wouldn't get out. You kept that secret, a mystery. Well, what are you allowed to do then? Take your laments to God. If you don't know how to lament to God, read Habakkuk and read the Psalms. Over a third of them are complaints to God. Most of them resolve, not all of them. Most of them resolve in faith and trust. And God's the one that put those in the Bible, so read them. He filled Psalms with our laments. He filled the mouths of prophets and common folk with laments. Those prayers you've been reading, the 40 days of prayer, and then the awakened prayer, have you noticed how deep and varied these things are? And some are prayers of lament, and some are prayers of absolute faith. Go ahead. Talk to God. Ask him. Even the absurd. Ask him. Be a people of absurd faith because our bodies will not live, but we will go for it. Go for it. Habakkuk 2, verse 20. It's a song. It's an admonition. It's a prescription for survival in the darkest of days. Habakkuk takes two actions to survive what is coming. His prayer and his faith did not stop what was coming. It came. 
with horrendous consequences for many of the faithful. But with strengthening the ones who remained, who were able to continue on and bring us the Christ in Bethlehem hundreds of years later. Habakkuk remembers the might and history of God. In my article for the e-blast this week, that's what that was. Start tracing the history of God in your life, and it is staggering. I, I look among you, and I see the best friends I've had in my life. And the group that went with us on the ship barely knew some of them at the first, but it was automatic trust, love, and friendship because of God. Look at what God's already done. I've caught myself doing this. I prayed for somebody's safety and they die. And I'm wondering, well, God. And then he reminds me, Patrick, you pray for people's safety every single day. And 99.99% of them are safe. That's true. We need to remember that. Habakkuk works his way through the history of God's people to remember that. And then the second, he determined, he decided to believe. He just said, all right. I believe, and to find his joy in God regardless of what happens that our eyes see, he would find joy in God. If you'll stand, please. I'm going to ask you to put that verse back up if you would, please. Thank you. We have the best audio and visual people up there. The whole team. Read this with me. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. May this not just be a song and a verse. May it be our attitude. May we choose the story of God even when our eyes do not see the story. May God bless you this week.